Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insight, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Sharman. Today we are joined by Christoph Foulon. Chris focuses on securing people and process with a solid understanding of of the technology. He has over 10 years as an information security manager and cybersecurity strategist with a passion for customer service, process improvement and information security. He has led large teams across multiple locations with significant experience in optimizing technology. After mainly being self-educated, he has a master's degree in cybersecurity as well as many certifications. As a career coach, Chris is passionate about helping others with the cybersecurity careers and co-host the Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast. Hope you enjoy. So hi Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? Um, I'd say I popped out in the States, but uh, family doesn't like when I say that. So I was born in the States, but grew up in the Caribbean. <laughs> I have to ask, uh, why don't they like you saying that? <laughs> uh, I know, they, they just think it's nerdy of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about your parents, if you can, you know, what, what sort of jobs did they have? And especially if you grew up in the, in the Caribbean. Yeah, they, they had a marine hardware store. My, um, my father was in the merchant marines and my mom was a nurse, um, but they both ran a marine hardware business there in the Caribbean and uh, grew up there until I was about 14 and then moved to the States and moved several places ever since, including Belgium, Florida, and now I'm up in the DC area. What caused the moves? Um, So from the Caribbean, uh, my parents separated and sold their business. Um, Then they moved to California again. Um, I finished out high school and community college there. I attempted to finish my bachelor's in Belgium, but because I went to a community college, they didn't want to give me credits um, for my courses and they said I had to start over. So I turned that one year into a year of travel and learned a lot backpacking across different countries in Europe. So keep keep focused on that education. You know, what Uh was your education like and how did it lead to, you know, your first roles within IT? Okay. So um, most of it wasn't education focused, how I got into IT. But um, while I was in the Caribbean, um, in that marine hardware store that I spoke about, we had a local computer tech that was fixing one of the machines that had an issue. And I was probably about six or seven, saw her fixing the machine. Ever since then, we had a a great relationship, and as I became a teenager and had summers off, I would go and hang out in her uh, internet cafe and where she fixes computers, and I became her apprentice and learned learned about it there, had the passion there. 
but as I finished high school and was choosing what I wanted to do for college, uh, this was 2005, six. There was all over CNN news stories of how computer science degrees were in abundance and didn't really have the value. And I was like, well, I looked at all the curriculums for a computer science bachelor's degree and I didn't really like the science part of it. So I said, I'll just skip this for now. Um, got myself a bachelor's in business administration with emphasis on information systems. So I still had that. And around 2008, when the economy crashed, I was in a sales role at the time. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to have to struggle and grind to do something, might as well struggle and grind doing something I like. So I quit my sales job, didn't have something lined up, um, went to a technical training school called New Horizons, and I I did that as if it were my job. Um, I took about a year's worth of courses in, in six months, but not because they forced it on me, because I got through the material so quickly. Um, I did all the way up to my MCSA, uh, A+, Net+, Security+, uh, MCSA, and just ground through it. And they were really surprised at how quickly I picked up the material and how much I loved it. But it was my passion and I loved doing it. So, yeah, that, that was the education side of it. And then I took a pause um, and then later in life went back for my master's in um, IT with emphasis on information assurance and cybersecurity, as well as some advanced certificates like my CISSP and most, most recently um, ISACA CRISC. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting to, you know, to hear your story because, you know, you, you got exposure to it at a young age. Um, and we talk about different pathways into the industry. Yours is very much very early on of, you know, self-taught uh, mm -hmm. within, within IT and then, and then have gone to then turn to education, whether it's courses, certifications or whatever it is. So what, what do you believe made it a passion of yours? Was it just that you enjoyed it? Um, I enjoyed it. And then because I adapted to it so quickly, people always asked me for help. And that was that was the part that I loved the best helping them um, use it the best, use it the most, use it securely. And that's actually what got me into security as well. Because um, I was in a help desk role and I saw, saw that the individuals that I was helping were doing things with per, poor security practices. And I'm like, have, have you thought about doing this? this or have you thought about doing that and it was just like eye-opening to them and seeing that change in them really made me want to go down that security route and focus more on security than, than just traditional IT. So when was the first time you heard or, or learned anything about cybersecurity? Um, uh, I would say that was around 2009. And what do you remember about that situation? I remember it was, I was helping a, a user and they just had their their password stuck to their monitor. And I'm like, that's not really secure. And they're like, well, I don't have any other way of remembering it. And I, I was like, looking, thinking of ways like, well, you could write it in a black book. You can put it somewhere more securely than just on your monitor. Um, they didn't really have 
password managers back then. Uh, so my closest recommendation at that point was a password protected file um, where they could store all of their username and password rather than uh, just using the one everywhere. But the, yeah, there wasn't much talk of it um, as a, a pathway just yet. It was more IT with securing um, like installing antiviruses or securing the network, but there wasn't a full security track just yet that I was exposed to um, anywhere I was until I started looking for it. And once I started looking for it, then I started to see that this was an industry and that um, it was something that I could focus on. Absolutely. And, and that's only 10 years ago, right? So like, how did you how did you transition into cyber from not seeing a pathway and then suddenly you know it's it's really you know probably overwhelmed you in the last few years in terms of your career so how did that transition come about uh the transition was slowly um it happened ever since then so i would work with the networking team how can how, what can we do to secure the network or secure the, the endpoints with antivirus or email or secure configurations? Um, it was helping out all the other teams and asking what aspects of their role focus on security and then volunteering for those, finding out more about how things work, um, not just from a help desk point of view, but how can I help secure it? So I volunteered my time, my effort in helping those other teams and doing projects like that to get more exposure really took five years of pushing towards it to to be able to accomplish that transition absolutely absolutely and what did you do around that to help that transition so by then i already had my security plus uh, certification. I had my MCSA with emphasis on security because I had my security plus, but it was just um, changing the way I spoke about my role to emphasize security. So on my resume, I highlighted the experiences that I had doing security. When I had interviews, I talked about my passion for security and the the things that I did to help volunteer in different ways to do security. And if I was working in an organization that had a full-fledged security team, I would volunteer my time with them. And if they did have open roles, uh, submit myself for it. Um, but that's where I saw that catch 22 that's even more prominent today that hiring managers are looking for people for, with experience, but people can't get experience because they don't have it. Um, so uh, for me, that transition was rough and I can see why people are having it, but volunteering, showing your passion um, and showing what you do to help secure things around you in your companies, in um areas that you're volunteering, so helping a charity secure their website or secure their premises or anything like that will show a hiring manager that you have the passion for it um, to help you stand up above those that might not have done that. No, exactly. And, and I'd imagine that having a multi-skill set will certainly help your career. So 
you know, that's certainly what we see. But I think like, how does having an IT background mixed in with cybersecurity help you, you know, work in a business and certainly that communication piece, you know, how does that affect that? I, I would say it helped me tremendously because if you understand the situation from many different angles. So you understand from the help desk point of view, what the users do on a day-to-day -day basis to work to get their job done. And then you also understand that from a system admin point of view, what's needed to keep things up and running. And then from a security point of view, how to balance those two points of views to keep things available while still have that integrity and confidentiality it's the best of all worlds um, the challenge sometimes that i see with some individuals coming into the industry is that they, they'll have the theory they'll have the concepts but they're trying to put themselves maybe in a role where they don't know how things are working so that's why i recommend like volunteering getting that experience in it um, figuring how things work if you can't do it on your own do it somewhere else and you've now fully done that transition um so mm -hmm. just tell us a little bit about your current position so my over the past four or five years i've been a consultant within the security space so i help organizations with their digital transformation so moving from either a paper-based uh, work model or a traditional it-based work model to a work model that has greater emphasis on the data and working in either a cloud-focused environment or a hybrid environment where you have a lot more things that you need to struggle with and advising them as to maybe how to evolve from the traditional infrastructure to a cloud-based infrastructure, but doing so securely and while minimizing risk is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And why are you so interested in, in doing transformation, especially within the federal area within cybersecurity? Um, I, I think the federal area is definitely prime um, for having those sorts of digital transformations. I've only come to the federal area in the past couple of years, so before that it was uh, commercially focused. But I think industries that need that extra help would be uh, federal, healthcare, um, and other critical infrastructures because they've for the longest time operated on smaller budgets, um, had less technically focused individuals in those areas and had greater expectations of security because of what they're doing. So I think oftentimes they'll lag behind in the latest evolutions because they're trying to do things securely but with older technology, the problem is as technology grows older, it becomes more vulnerable because more, more individuals have had time to find the holes and weaknesses in those systems. Absolutely. And obviously that's a, that's a real concern when you, when you think about the, the federal agencies, but how, how is, how is with inside them federal agencies, how is digital transformation changing or has been changing in the, in the years that you've been working? you know, with them experiences? Uh, it, it's changing greatly. So you have some agencies or some federal customers that are really ahead of, of more 
So like your DOD, they tend to be more ahead. Your NSA, they tend to be ahead of others. But then you have smaller agencies. Uh, they tend to be a little more behind. They will get the budget to buy technology, but then they might not have the foundations in place, the, in place, the, the strategy in place for dealing with that transformation. So you, you go back in and you have them focus on, okay, what, what's the purpose of the organization? What are you looking to achieve? And then focus on the people and process that you need to improve to get you to that, alt, that area of being more secure, of having that better posture and then you start to implement the technologies that will help you get there. And you talk about that communication piece. So how, how do you help them understand the, the risks that they are going through? <sighs> um, sometimes it's talking to them in a way that they understand. So someone in risk and compliance, you have to talk about risk. Someone in um, that's focused on a, a accomplishing availability. You have to talk to them about the ways that, say, cloud technology allows them to keep things more available. Or if someone's in security, well, this is some of the different ways that you can Im implement security in this type of environment. And we have to just walk through the business and understanding which one of these ways will work best for them. And when you go in as a consultant, like, what would you say is your objectives then if you're trying to help these uh you know let's say federal agencies i would say my objective is always doing right by the customer and helping them accomplish their mission there's there's some individuals or vendors that might have a more um focused approach on selling their technology or accomplishing their project i like to go in and if I'm tasked with doing one thing, but halfway in, we realize that that's not the best approach. Okay, let's regroup. Let's figure out what's the best approach for this organization and then go back down that route. And I suppose on the, going back to the business side, you know, away from your objectives, if we're talking about the business objectives, how can cybersecurity better support and I, and I say that, you know, better support and not, you know, hamper in any, any what way, but how can it better support the business objectives within digital transformation? The easiest way I could say for it to do that is to enable ways to build in resilience into the process. So in your traditional infrastructure, if it wasn't architected properly, uh, or if you only, say, had limited resources, so you only had one location, if that one location went down, you lost your entire operation. U utilizing cloud services and even multi-cloud operations, you can build in that resiliency into your operating model. That way, if a particular region for a cloud goes down, well, it could go to another region, or if that entire cloud vendor is affected by a certain issue, you can have your operation shift over to another cloud vendor. It's all, it all depends on how you architect it, but the key is to architect it in a cloud-based manner, not just lift it and shift it from your traditional data center. 
And you said a word there, resilience. And I, I, you know, we, you and I have spoke before. You know, we spoke about cyber resilience. But what does it? What does cyber resilience mean to you when you're working with your clients? Uh, for me, it means the ability to withstand adverse events and still deliver on the outcome. And that could mean a lot of things for different people, but it really boils down to being able to either fail gracefully or to operate in a hampered manner, but still delivering what's possible while you're being attacked or while you're suffering an outage so that you have as minimal disruption as possible. But if you did have a disruption that you'd be able to recover as quickly as possible as well. Is there a way that you think or, or feel, you know, when you have cyber resilience, is there such a place? Yes. I mean, the, the place is really about building in that redundancy, that scalability into your process. So if you're being attacked and you had one server that is being overwhelmed, maybe it means either scaling to five or 10 servers so that you can um, outscale the attack or having protections in place to deflect excess attacks or non-legitimate requests, um, say using a, um, a provider like Cloudflare or um, using DNS protections at your cloud service provider level. It, it just means building in different layers of protection to ensure that you're always running. And, you know, we talk about this, we talked about cyber resilience, we talked about digital transformation, we talked in a federal environment. If we group all, all them three areas up, who owns this, do you believe, in a, in a, in a federal or even a private, uh, you know, company environment? So in a federal environment, uh, the agency owns it. Um, in a commercial environment, the the commercial entity owns it. Um, to a certain extent, if you have continued attacks um, that are geared towards uh, the private sector, that there's a, a identified actor that you can really provide attribution towards, um, then at a certain extent, the government does need to step in and utilize whatever levers they can to control that. Um, but, but ultimately, as we've seen in recent attacks, it's really the commercial sector that has been stepping up and providing that shielding for other companies. So Cloudflare or AWS or Azure, um, improving their defenses so that their customers are being shielded from these massive attacks. And like you said, you've worked in the federal area for four, you know, you know, coming towards five years, you know, so what is the most important skill for anyone looking to work in this area uh, within cybersecurity? Um, I would say one of the most important skills is the ability to ensure that the ultimate goal of protecting the agency's structure and securing the nation that you're working for. Um, a lot of times that would mean less pay because the mission that you're looking to support 
can't afford to pay the same amount as private sector, maybe that means um, less exciting work until you can get to an area within your organization, until you can get the clearance needed to um, provide that exciting work. Um, but then for other members, it also means um, having a clean background, because if you want to work in those cleared areas, um, having a, a clean background, having um, no drugs in your system, um, no ability to be um, blackmailed or manipulated by foreign actors, those sorts of characteristics are going to be critical if you want to work in the cleared space. And I know you're, I know you're really passionate about helping people get into the industry. So I really want to focus towards the end, to the tail end of this podcast on that area. Um, so let me ask you this. What are your three biggest recommendations for anyone looking to break into cybersecurity and not just federal, any area? Yeah. So if you're new to the industry, um, like I mentioned earlier, finding ways to volunteer, finding ways to get that experience, to show that passion to hiring managers. Um, if you're looking to transition, focus on ways to highlight the, the things that you have done in your day-to-day -day roles that address security concerns. Um, and then the last one would be this, don't come into this industry just for money. Because if you do, you'll go for one of the high paying jobs in incident response and you'll probably get burned out really quickly. Um, there, this, this industry really is about passion. Sure, there's some people that come in and they do great work checking in and out at the end of the day, but if you really want to excel in this field and have an impact, have that passion. And let's just focus on that point there because I, I, I just literally finished an article for the Cyber Defense magazine on burnout. So how do you manage you know, your time, your uh, balance in your life in order to avoid that? Well, I'm probably not a good example of it, but um, I have a long commute. So currently I, I commute about two hours each way. Uh, four days a week. Um, so I listen to podcasts. I have continuous education. I find ways to keep myself learning and growing um, in ways that make me happy. So I'm I am not working 80, 100 hours unless I really need to. Um, but when I'm not working, I'm finding ways to learn and grow. And for me, some of that is helping others. So help I've had really good mentors in my past that have helped me get to where I am. So I like to help to mentor others. Um, I also coach others on the side and seeing that, and I'm also a professor and being able to, to see that positive change in those individuals that, that relights my fire as well as when I'm working with customers and I can help them improve their, their security situation in a positive way, that also reignites my fire to keep going. Yeah, and like you said, like you seem to do a lot, right? So you do, you do a lot of mentoring, podcasts, you know, so is it just that you want to give back? Like what are the feelings that 
uh, it, you know, is produced that makes you want to keep doing that type of work where, you know, okay, you don't earn like money out of it, but I can imagine that brings a lot of value, correct? Yes, it, it brings value because in the long run, um, if I can help the community, the community will see that I'm helping it. So while I might not be in an, in a position right now where I might benefit from it, in five or ten years, an organization that's looking for a leader that is truly passionate about security and helping secure organizations can see that in me and would look to hire me for those reasons. So while it might not pay off now, it'll pay off in the long run. And and again, like, you know, you're very um you're very interactive on LinkedIn, let's say. Um, so why, again, do you decide to do that? Why is that important to you? It's it's all part of engaging and helping others. Being interactive with the community helps me grow because I can share my point of view and someone else can share their point of view. And it might not have been something that I considered. Um, reading articles and keeping up with the trends and sharing those with with others in the field that that keeps me learning and growing as well and if i didn't do that i think i wouldn't grow as much as i have been and i wouldn't find that passion as much either because having that interaction that dialogue with other individuals similar to myself or even helping other individuals that are looking to get to this level makes me feel good now you, you know, your career path, you know, was through IT into cyber, as we as we discussed. Um, but what is the strangest or most unique path that you've ever heard of to get into cybersecurity, if you can think of one? Well, one of the guests on, or several of the guests on on the podcast that I do have had some very interesting conversions. Um, one of them was a physical therapist, um, but the transferable skills that they had is that they were able to relate to their patients and have that conversation. And they were able to use that in their role as an analyst. Um, another individual was in a nonprofit organization helping just with administration. Um, and they did a total shift into a SOC analyst role. Um, those types of conversions are really different, but um, another interesting uh, conversion was a librarian, um, InfoSec Sherpa. Um, but most people don't see that role as being really helpful in the security space, but it really is because as a librarian, she has to be able to find information. So that translates translated very well into her OSINT job and she had been able to um, find roles aligned to that and now she's actually working for the New York Times in their security department. Excellent. No, I'm sure, you know, I really recommend anyone to, you know, listen to your podcast because uh, it just provides another, another context uh, and more you know, hearing people's stories about how they got into the industry. And I think that's the most important thing for anyone who's trying to spread a message right now. So, I, you know, I recommend that. So just staying on that, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on, on these three questions. So, you know, what is the number one thing people need to commit to today to be successful in this industry, do you think? 
um, being eternally curious. So they need to be curious to figure out how things work. It's not just like, oh, okay, I click this button and this happens and be okay with that. You need to be curious to figure out why does it do that? What makes it do that? Is it secure when it's doing that? So just having that curiosity. So how do you see your career going, you know, in the next three to five years? What's going to be really important to you? Well, for me, I... I see myself gaining the experiences needed in advising on different types of situations to to the point where I have the experiences needed to be a CISO or provide uh, virtual CISO services. So that's my goal for the next uh, three to five years. So to go alongside that, how do you see the industry looking in the next, you know, let's say three years, because five years, it's going to be a long time away in cybersecurity. <laughs> um, that, that's a good question. Uh, I see that the industry is going to evolve a lot away from traditional infrastructure not necessarily to a full cloud-based infrastructure, but settle in in a hybrid fashion, um, especially for the larger organizations. The, the, you'll have startups that will start off in a cloud-based manner, and as they start to gain traction and gain scale, they'll then start to see the benefits of moving some of their compute or their resources back to an on-premise environment um, for them. So I, I think that's how things have been going, say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it was all infrastructure on premise. And then there's a big pendulum swing to moving everything to the cloud. For example, uh, Netflix had did that. They were all on premise. They moved everything to AWS and then they started moving things back. They started rebuilding their own internal infrastructure as they gained the skills and experiences and figured out, well, maybe we could do what AWS is doing because we're at that scale again where we need to bring some of that compute back in-house. Absolutely. And and I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of change, like I said. I think uh, I don't I don't think... I think we would have a very different conversation if we sat down in a year's time even. So I think it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who can keep up with them trends. So I suppose just on that, like, how do you keep up with these trends in such a ever-changing landscape? Well, um, podcasts. I listen to, on average, between twenty to forty hours of podcasts in any given week. I have a, I guess, an ability to with with retain information. Um, that's in an auditory fashion much more than I can read it. Um, so I like to listen to podcasts for that reason. But I also do read and dig into technical subjects as well. Um, so reading the latest articles, engaging on LinkedIn, engaging with my peers to keep up again. Perfect. Now, what I didn't tell you, Chris, was that we finished the podcast with 10 quick fire questions. <laughs> uh, so I always keep that a secret for that reason. So uh, are you ready? Sure. What turns you on professionally? Uh, being able to tackle a, a tough situation. What turns you off professionally? Individuals that are unprepared and unwilling to change. How do you unwind? 
I like to watch TV. Um, my wife says I watch scripted shows, but to me, those scripted shows take me to another world. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to try? If I were to try another profession, it would be to be a scuba instructor. What activity gives you the most energy? Uh, when I was in the Caribbean, I, I love sailing. I love scuba diving. Um, now I'm not so close to the water, so I, I like running and uh, hiking in nature. Who is your biggest inspiration? I would say my mother. Um, even though she was a nurse and a business owner, she was also one of the most technically savvy people I knew growing up. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Passion. You're at your best when you are doing what? When I'm helping people or organizations improve their security posture. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you like to impart? Well, things are finite and appreciate the things that you have. Now for the big one. This is the hard one. If heaven <laughs> exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? That I, I helped others. Perfect. And I think that sums you up to a, to a T in that respect. You know, like I've ever since we first met and we've spoke, you know, everyone that, I, uh, that knows you says you're very helpful and, you know, you always look out to look for others. So that certainly ends the podcast in the right way. So on that note, how can people, you know, find you on social media? And secondly, more importantly, where can they find the podcast? Uh, well, they can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, the podcast is called Breaking Into Security. We have a YouTube channel as well as on uh, Apple Podcasts. Excellent, excellent. And just, just, just briefly touch on the the objectives of the podcast and and some of the episodes that you've had that's worth people, you know, people really listening to. Um, well. We've had multiple different episodes. The special editions more recently highlight um, senior leaders within the industry that are sharing their points of view as to how someone looking to break in can do. So in the beginning, we started with individuals who have transitioned sharing their stories. And recently, we started including senior leaders and sharing what they would like the next generation or those transitioning in the field to do to help prepare. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe. And for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.